Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week, we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Julia. Amanda's not here, but I am joined by... Eric. And this is episode 127, Myth Movie Night, An American Werewolf in London. I have not seen this movie, but the two of you did, and it sounded like a blast. We did. Um, It is a classic 80s film. It is as good as it gets when it comes to practical special effects, and it has some really interesting takes on the werewolf myth, which we've talked about werewolves in the past before, but I thought this was really interesting to see it kind of on the big screen. Yeah, I think anytime we can uh, incorporate some pop culture into the podcast and kind of differentiate from the the standard week-to-week deep dive into something old uh, and look at it through a pop culture lens, that, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of fun, and it, it mixes it up nicely for, for everyone. Yeah, I've been really enjoying our myth movie nights. I plan on doing a bunch more in the future. Uh, Hopefully it is something that you all enjoyed. I know we got a lot of really positive feedback from our Hercules episode. Hopefully this continues to be fun and exciting for everyone. And you know what's also really fun to to look at, Julia? Is it the emails that come in every time we get a new patron? It sure is. Tell me about those new patrons. Well, our new patrons this week are Christy, Colleen, Veronica, Atticus, and AP, and they join the ranks of our fantastic supporting producer-level patrons, Philip, Julie, Eeyore, Mercedes, Samantha, Christopher, Kathy, Vinny, Danica, Marissa, Sammy, Josie, Neil, Jessica, Phil Fresh, and Deborah. And you know who I would sit down and watch an 80s film with at any point, even if it was a bad 80s film? Would that be those amazing legend level patrons it would be it would be Haley, sarah p james jess sarah t sandra audra jack marie and leanne so what were you and amanda uh drinking while you while you watched this lovely film well see i had a little red wine before we started recording and then amanda broke out the tennessee apple moonshine and it just it got a little wild that does in fact sound like that's exactly what would happen when you bust that yeah. out uh, speaking of wild, Eric, um, besides Endgame and Game of Thrones, which we don't spoil for our fans because we love them, uh, what else have you been uh, checking out lately? Yes, I have been checking out the new web series that you can find on PBS or YouTube called Monstrum, which uh, was worked on by me and Amanda's old internet friend, Leslie. Uh, Monstrum is a lot like spirits, a take uh stories about monsters and myths and legends and they take a closer look and they're done in these really nice short episodes and like they do things that are are different than the way spirits talks about them so right now they have two episodes up one is about are the white walkers really nordic zombies and the other is on the original headless horseman Ooh, that sounds really good i'm gonna have to go check that out yeah so head over to the episode description and click on monstrum and uh check out their web series and give it a give it a sub on youtube plus our good friend leslie worked on it and that means we know it's good exactly uh speaking of things that we know are good eric we're gonna be in a bunch of places this summer and going into fall yeah we are heading pretty much all around the uh east coast and uh a little bit of the the midwest last south as well tell us Mm -hmm. tell us where we're going 
Uh, well, we've talked about this before on the show, but we're going to be at PodX in Nashville, Tennessee, June 1st and 2nd. We're going to be doing three panels. We're going to have a booth. So if you're going, you can come say hi. If you haven't bought your tickets yet, you can get 10% off those tickets uh, by going to podx.com slash multitude. Get that 10% off. Get those cheap tickets. Come say hi, because we're going to have a blast there. And just announcing this today, we also want to tell you about two upcoming Multitude live shows. Uh, that's right. We're going to be performing at the Bell House in New York City on June 21st and at City Space in Boston on October 10th. If you're a patron, you'll be getting a link for pre-sale tickets today, which is Wednesday, May 1st, if you're listening to this in the future. Uh, and then general sale will be going up on Friday, May 3rd at 10 a.m. So these shows are going to be different each time. If you saw our Seattle live shows that we did at PodCon, they're going to be different from that, but a similar style. So you get a different experience every time. So if you're in the New York City and Boston area, maybe you want to get tickets for both. Also, these venues are on the smaller side, so I would recommend getting those tickets ASAP. So if you want more info on all of the live events that we're going to be going to in the near future, you can head to multitude.production live. That'll have links to tickets if they're available, uh, everything that you could possibly need to know about about these venues. Yes, these shows are super excited. We are so stoked to do all of them. But the Bell House for me is so exciting. Uh, the first time we ever talked about doing a podcast together was almost exactly four years ago to like within like a month. And uh, it was at the Bell House and we were all the three of us were seeing a show. And like even before I had any reason to ever uh, perform at the Bell House before I had ever been to the Bell House, I was like, it would be so cool to perform at the Bell House. Like, it's such a great venue that, like, Netflix specials have been shot at and so many other things. So it mm -hmm. is just super duper exciting for all of us to be able to uh, to do that. So it's going to be a multitude show. So you're going to get a little bit of uh, content from all of the uh, multitude creators in one way or another. So we are super excited to to do all, the, all these exciting shows. And I am yeah. particularly stoked for the Bell House show. Yeah, we're all going to be there if you love spirits but also potterless and also join the party and also horse and also waystation all of us are going to be there you get to see all your favorite people like i said you can go to multitude.production live to check out ticket info dates times etc and really it's going to be a blast we would love to see you there also, I am trying to get better at providing content warnings for our episodes. This one in particular, you can find the content warnings in the show notes. But I do want to say at the top here, in case you're driving and can't check the show notes at the moment, uh, this episode contains conversations about suicide, self-harm, gore, death, and also mental health issues. So take care of yourself, stay safe, and we will see you later on in this episode. So without any further ado, join us for... Spirits, episode 127, Myth Movie Night, An American Werewolf in London. Welcome to another Myth Movie Night where Julia has real, really taken a hard left turn and made me watch An American Werewolf in London. Yeah, um, I guess kind of content warnings for the beginning of this episode for yes. gore, violence, uh, suicide and just mental health issues altogether. Yeah. I think that basically covers everything. Also tits, I guess, if that's a, a content warning for you. And uh, like a, a definite abuse of the medical caregiver patient relationship. Yeah, that wasn't great either. If you have not watched the film and you plan to, 
uh, just, you know, make a make a healthy choice for yourself mm-hmm. as to when and if you do that. That is fair. So I guess we can just dive right in. I feel like we'll just kind of go through the plot and I'll stop us when I have some comments about it. Does that seem yeah. fair? I okay. like it. Um, and my first impressions of the film, perhaps, uh, are, are useful to share. It starts with some idyllic moors, a.k.a. someone got to be dying soon. That's true. You are correct. But yeah, we uh, we very much flash to a life that I have led backpacking through the UK and Europe, um, where we have like the sheep farmer who lets the two Americans with matching coats out of the back of his uh, sheep truck, tells them not to walk on the moors and to stick to the roads. Julia, they don't stick to the roads. They don't. Also, I'm just going to give us a quick pause because first, the producer of the film is Lycanthrop Films. Ooh, I thought you were going to say that's someone's name. And I was going to say liar. So that makes more sense that it's a production company. It's not, but it is directed by John Landis. Do you know anything about John Landis, Amanda? Sounds familiar, but no. Uh, So he directed movies such as uh, National Lampoon's Animal House. He also, you might know him best for uh, directing Michael Jackson's Thriller, which he actually, Michael Jackson approached him after seeing this film to do Thriller, the music video. That makes total sense. 11 minute long music video. Which is wonderful. Yes, it is very good. But you can see how those special effects kind of come into play after we go through this movie. Totally, totally. So yeah, as you say, um, we got those sweet Misty Moors. We have Blue Moon as the opening song, which is funny. (laughs) Very good. We get the the hitchhiking Americans in the middle of Northern England, which I I guess like at this point, like I know my mother did hitchhiking and backpacking through Europe. Oh my God, she did. She totally had a glass of wine and told us all about the dangerous things that she did. And we were like, mom, mom, please. Please, mom, I beg of you. But yeah, apparently it's just these two guys. They're best friends. Their names are David and Jack. I had them labeled as red and green because that's the color of their jackets until they said their names again later on in the film. Yeah, I had to check on IMDb and like mentally de-age the person from their headshot on IMDb Ooh, because yeah. I totally forgot which was which. That but is we, we get lots of discussion about how much Jack hopes that his love, Debbie Klein, will be meeting him in Rome. And he very much wants to get it on. And they talk in really, just excruciating detail about how much he wants to have sex with her yeah they want to fuck which is a great instinct because we talk about it's really introducing the idea of the animal instinct the id very early on in the film which is going to come into play obviously with any werewolf myth or story so really really laying it on thick you see i'm glad that we have both of our perspectives here julia because my uh, notes from that, which we're going to include, by the way, in our patron show notes for this episode. So good time to join our Patreon. I'm just going to take pictures because all of mine are handwritten. Even better. Mine are mine are typed. But my, my notes here are, oh, they are really making use of their R rating. We have like the word fuck twice in the first 10 minutes and lots of discussion of sex. And to me, it felt like, oh, we're PG-13. So wait for one curse word. At one point, someone's going to say piss. No, I like you'll you'll see later we'll talk about the special effects for some of the gore and stuff like that but it is very impressive but I think they knew they weren't going to get that PG-13 rating so they're just like "Ah, fuck it at this point let's do it (laughs) so they end up uh, arriving in a small village of East Proctor which I googled I don't think it's a real place I could be wrong no, Lesher is, which was the other side of the like arrow that gotcha. they stopped next to. Um, but I, I don't know anything about that in particular. Thank the you. moors are real. Yes, the moors are well, real. Not the, the moors are. I guess thin. not the real moors. It's not like the West Country, but yeah, the the beautiful rolling hills of Northern England, where they're 
ain't much around. We should mention that they are released from the back of this farmer's uh, truck with a bunch of sheep and a sheepdog in the back. And he tells them, stay on the road, stay off the moors. And of course, they like don't really care. They start talking about sex immediately. So they arrive in the village of East Proctor and they stop at the Slaughtered Lamb, which is a bar. It doesn't seem like it's an inn because they don't try to stay there. A pub. Yeah, that's that's a more accurate uh, thing. So the Slaughtered Lamb has a great signage where it is a <laughs> a wolf's decapitated head on a pike as their sign. So clearly sure doing is. some good indication right off the bat that like, oh yeah, wolves. So what do we think the symbolism here? Because it's called the slaughtered lamb. So that would indicate that you have sacrificed one animal for protection, to appease the gods, you know, to, to sort of make peace. But the head is of the wolf. So is the implication you think that they either obviously think themselves to be, to be like wolf hunters or maybe the pentacle things that we're going to be coming up on in a moment. Do they think of themselves as like the one safe place? I think it's a idea of lost innocence. So you slaughter the lamb in order to create the wolf, so to speak. My, uh, again, much less uh, highbrow. My first impression was like, this is what it's like to be an American in England. Is uh, it? Where you walk in and you are suddenly the loudest and brightest and largest person in any room that you are. At least that was my experience at 19 uh, studying abroad because you just, I walk into a bar and people turn and look at me and I'm just like, oh no, oh wait, I am just loud by nature compared to everybody else. Uh, so I thought it was extremely funny when they walked in and Im- immediately it was silent. The filmmaking is wonderful here. Like there really is like such an extended shot. There's such a sort of like excruciating pause as the guys put their stuff down, ask for a hot drink. There's no hot drinks, ask for food. There's no food and just try to like settle in. My favorite line is it's like, oh, you want tea? They're like, do you have tea? She's like, no, but yep. I can make it for you. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very good. It's very much like, mom, can I have some dinner? No. May I have some dinner? Fine. Yes, but basically they enter this pub. Everyone becomes silent the moment they enter. They try to be accommodating and nice and no one wants them there, basically. They mention that they're American and the guy starts telling an American joke. And while they tell the American joke about the Alamo, if I remember correctly, um, while this gentleman who is a local is telling this joke, they notice a pentagram on the wall burning uh, candles and whatnot. So now it's just a star. Is a pentagram upside down? What defines a pentagram? Just like a five pointed uh, thing? Yeah, it's basically a five pointed star. So I actually did some research on this. When the pentagram is upright, that is a symbol of the spirit overcoming the like physical, the animal instincts, the id of a human. When it's upside down, it's the animal instincts overcoming the spirit, the more quote unquote human. Uh, The upside down one is referred to as the Lilith pentagram. Uh, And usually that's the one that we associate with quote unquote evil. In this instance, I don't know if the filmmakers just didn't give a fuck or they inverted the trope, so to speak, where they both inverted the star and inverted the trope. Well, I thought it was more that they, that, that like the pub, because the lady said the proprietess that it had been there for 200 years, which maybe she was exaggerating and like trying to get him off her back. Um, or maybe it has been drawn and redrawn for that long in this village. But either way, it makes sense to me that that's the imagery because like these people are trying to uh, maintain their like, quote unquote, like civility and humanness yeah. over the animals, even though they are acting in somewhat of a barbaric way by just, you know killing any potential threat. 
I think um, f- the way I read the scene, at least, is that, yeah, it probably has been there for 200 years, but they're kind of playing it off like, oh, we don't know. We just do it because it's tradition. But they oh, obviously sure. know that the werewolf is still a thing. Also, the uh, the friend Jack mentions that the only knowledge he has about the pentagram is from the universal film, The Wolfman. And the, <laughs> and according to him, the uh, the pentagram is the sign of the wolf. And I'm just like, well, that seems like nonsense, but okay. Yeah, and he actually references it. I don't know if it was in this scene where you're talking about the one later in the movie, but it also comes up again later when David talks about the Wolfman, which I thought was really cool and meta. Like to me as an audience member, that would make me feel a lot more scared to know that this is a universe where the werewolf movie industry also exists. And yet this is still happening. You know, what's really interesting, too, is this film was actually released by Universal Pictures, who own the oh, rights so to The Wolfman and a bunch of other like Wolfman stories. So, They're like, ooh, cross promo. Yes, please. Oh, 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 yes, we will talk about uh, Bella Lagasse as a uh, Romani person. Well, the uh, the boys don't make it much longer, do they? When um, nope. when Jack brings up like the mark of the Wolfman, lol, really putting his foot in it. Used um, in witchcraft, I think, is one of the lines yeah. he says. I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> okay, Jack. Um, but the, the pub men end up kicking them out, even though the barkeep is against it. And is like, is that a good idea? They repeat the warning not to go out on the moors. And they say, beware the moon, which will become a refrain over yeah. the movie. The boys do leave and they kind of just run Where out. Where do they go, Julia? Where do they go? Into the moors like idiots. They go to the moors. My Into favorite- the moors and out of the moors. <laughs> and, and home before, before dawn. Dark. Actually not. <laughs> so I think one of my favorite things is they intercede the shots of the boys on the moors with scenes from the bar. And at one point, the the barmaid or the bar mistress tells them, well, someone needs to go after them. We can't just let them go out there. Isn't that murder? Isn't that something like that? And the one bald-headed gentleman who was telling the Alamo story before, he goes, should the world know our business? I'm like, ooh, that is quite a line. Thank you, sir. Yeah, also uh, very uh, close to my heart having grown up as I did. Yes. Um, And the fantastic part is almost immediately upon watching those boys in the moors, we watched them walk off the road. I'm like, you motherfuckers. You dumb idiots. idiots. And of course they get lost. Like 10 minutes into this walk, they realize what a bad choice they've made and go to turn around. Of course they are lost and they cannot get back. Yes. And the the use of sound though is very good here, I thought. It was extremely scary. I had, I was playing it on like my my TV and I have like a little sound bar. So it's not like surround sound, but I could at least hear the panning of the sound from left to right. Uh, And it was a really effective way, I thought, to build suspense. We've talked in the past about how so much of scariness is sound and, um, I thought that was uh, that was really wonderful here. Uh, in true American fashion, the boys try to play it off as kind of funny and jokes. They're like, what's those wolf noises that we hear in the background? Oh, it's the Hound of the Baskervilles. I'm just like, really? Really? At one point, one of them literally says, oops, because they yeah. walked off the road. He literally said, oops. No, they do. And then, uh, of course, Julia... Jack dies. He wanted to have sex. Therefore, he dies. This is the the less extreme version of the women having sex and then dying in any horror movie. That is true. And this is where you had told me one thing before watching this movie, which is that the special effects were uh, really groundbreaking. And I definitely saw that here, where there is some very realistic uh, imagery as a wolf tears Jack's throat out and sort of like scratches David on the cheek before village men uh, sort of appear and shoot the wolf dead. 
Yes. And when David, who has been attacked and is about to pass out, turns to look at the body of the wolfman who attacked him. Oh, no, it's not a wolf. It's a man. It's just a naked man with gunshots in his stomach. Oh, fun fact, because we we've now discussed the special effects and we'll talk about them a little bit more. Uh, The special effects for this film won an Academy Award for Best Makeup. And two, they created the Academy Award for Best Makeup for this film. Oh, crap, really? Yeah. It was the first time they ever offered it, and it was specifically designed because the movie's special effects are so incredible. And we'll talk a little bit more about it when it comes to the uh, transformation scene later, which is fascinating but it is it is fascinating i learned recently that men in black also won uh for for makeup because of all the like alien prosthesis which mm-hmm. is really that cool. is true i i still think that like it doesn't hold a candle to this film because this film just is so incredible in so many ways i don't i don't know how else to describe it the only other film i can think of that really wows me from a uh, from a makeup and special, like physical special effects, practical special effects point of view, is uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, which I don't mm. know if I've made you watch that yet, but not yet. Ooh, uh, there's Sounds no like mythology behind it. It will probably be just for funsies. <laughs> Got it. Okay, uh, so uh, the next thing that we see from David is he wakes up in a hospital briefly um, after two nurses are talking about his dick. Yep. Yes, they do. They're doing that. It, that is. I'm like, uh, this is. This is a problem. This is this is probably not something professional that you two ladies should be talking about, especially in the presence of the patient and when a doctor is right behind you. This lady, Susan, was trying to, like, claim that she could identify David as Jewish. And it's, like, very bizarre and uncomfortable, um, especially in, like, 1970s London. It was just, like, it was not a good scene. Yeah. the And, like, they, they make a point. They're like, oh, he's he's circumcised. And, and then the doctor walks in and is like, that's actually standard practice now. I'm like, that, that is an interesting cultural thing. I will, I will admit that that is, like, a, a change that from like then to now we definitely saw i mean i see right like like i see uh how she could think she had reason to ask but listen susan unless you're elijah you can't just ask people if they're circumcised susan you're not the penis sheriff susan susan do you have a badge that says penis sheriff i don't think you are so david wakes up david is told that jack is dead also they have the uh, american embassy worker yeah, I was going to say, like, like I looked down at my phone for one second, and then I looked up, and a Mr. Collins was there who looked like someone's, like, math teacher from high school. Do you know who Mr. Collins is played by? No. Frank Oz. Do you know who Frank really? Oz is? No. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you're like, really? Wow, that's fascinating. Um, Frank Oz was the director for Little Shop of Horrors, Dirty Rotten oh. Scoundrels, but you probably know his work more from being the person who, you know, performed characters like Miss Piggy and Fozzie Bear and Animal from the Muppets and also basically every character from Sesame Street and also Yoda in Star Wars. I had no idea there was a common denominator there. That's amazing. And we also get to see the Muppets later on in the series or we see Miss oh, Piggy Oh yes we do. Kermit. We do. I totally forgot about that. No it's I'm not, um, I'm not exactly clear on who the Muppets are. This is a safe space. Uh, are they the same as Sesame Street? Are they different? Not quite sure. Um, but yeah, we see them later, which is a really fun Easter egg now that I know that. It is an episode of The Muppets, you are correct. Nice. Thank you. 
But yeah, Mr. Collins is just sort of like he sees David writhing in pain and he like yells at him in a very like American 50s raised man fashion, like not to get excited. Um, And I just wrote like classic 70s masculinity like that. That is what it is. Um, And then the doctor, whose name I actually never caught, um, is amusingly British and like it's Dr. Hirsch. Oh, Dr. Hirsch. So, yeah, he's like amusingly British. He's stiff upper lip um, and he gives us a little bit more information that David's been unconscious for three weeks before David passed out again um in in pain and in here too we see a couple of scenes from like a wolf point of view like handheld camera um as david pictures first running through the forest uh in first person and then he sees himself running later sees himself eating like a very realistic looking animal so david clearly he's naked yeah yeah he clearly has a connection to some kind of experience that he either had or some part of him has had I, I like that you point out that uh, Dr. Hirsch is comedically British because he does yeah. at one point try to get out of a phone call with someone he doesn't want to talk to by telling his secretary, just tell him I'm dead. <laughs> He's very dry in his humor is maybe a better way to put it. But he ends up coming back, which I had hoped because he was just like really, uh, really wonderful. They also inform David that it's been three weeks since he's been attacked, which is um, good plot pointing by uh, by John Landis because... What else would you have done if the full moon wasn't going to come back in a couple of days? Yeah, that that was very good. That was very good. And I mean, at this point, I have to say, I really thought that the doctor was kind of in on the conspiracy. Like, I, I assumed that there was some kind of conspiracy where some people knew about werewolves or were werewolves or there was some kind of infrastructure around it. Um, and so the doctor was just so kind of blasé and dry that I assumed he knew something. But no, he just sort of was like, this is a patient. Uh, you know, he is He's having, having delusions. some paranoia or delusions, right? And like, I will just try to assure him the way that I can. Yeah, it's interesting because really the only quote unquote conspiracy that we get later, the doctor kind of gets clued in on by doing his own investigation. Yeah, which is very unusual. Yeah, which is uh, unlikely in most films, I feel like usually the doctor just stays where he's at. But apparently this doctor drove all the way up to wherever they got David from and then drove back in the same day. You know, Julian, I think that's a a sort of like borderline to positive example of a healthcare professional going above and beyond for a patient. Mm -hmm. You know what's not is uh, Nurse Alex Price, who sexually feeds David uh, in his bed. She is like, and they show like a lot of her interacting with other like bratty kids in the ward, I guess, to sort of establish why she would find this like rugged 18 year old American uh, super attractive. Um, And she and David kind of bond. He's not hungry, probably because he he ate a lot of rabbit maybe as a wolf um <laughs> and yeah it's it's extremely funny we see too that his has sort of like a wolf slash like five finger nails across his chest yeah um and, and the doctor is like bit. you were attacked by a psychotic man i'm like really i don't, I don't think so my friend no well we also learned here that the men on the moors cleaned his wounds before they brought him yeah. to the hospital which i thought was really interesting and and like very morally gray we'll talk about this later too like sort of the stance of the village but it was a really interesting data point also a really interesting point too because if we we talked a little bit about this in our werewolf roundup episode but one of the signs that one is a werewolf is that if you were to get cut fur would come out instead of blood Mm-hmm. So, like, it, because that's how animals are are worked. That's how that works. With fur, yeah. All, y- your skin is just to cover up your werewolf body. 
That's just how that works. Just um, like a stuffed animal, sulfur in there. So if that was the actual case, you know, maybe they cleaned the wounds or like sewed him up or whatever so that no one would be able to identify the fact that, oh, the 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 blood is actually fur. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's, that's a good point. It's just funny when you say it. Yeah, and as the um as the like visions intensify, um David like in his red coat and backpack is walking through the forest and then sees I wrote here other David, but Jack of in his Oh no, it was it was no, himself, it was David. right? Yes. Oh, okay, that's why. Well, he saw himself in a hospital bed in the woods and then the the self in the bed makes like a wolf grimacing face at the nurse. Yes. And is this Julia where we see him in a sort of like full wolf mask? Yeah. Or is um, this just like a snarl? This is, it's, he has uh, contacts in probably a little bit of facial prosthetic and like yellowed sharpened yes. teeth, but it's not the full wolf that we see later on in the film. Got it. We then see as a, as Alex uh, stretches sexily while reading to him um, that David dreams he's at home in a very like leave it to beaver kind of house. Ooh, yeah. This seems wild. It is. It had to look away. Like it was really disturbing because in the in the like vision, his dad opens the door and a bunch of men in like horror movie masks is is what I said. Like they didn't look real. They looked like they were masks. Um, came in, shot up the family, and then ultimately burned his house. So we come back from the uh, the flirting. So she's reading a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, which I think is really funny. I don't know what that is. That's adorable. Uh, so it's actually written by Mark Twain. What? And it's about a like Yankee engineer from Connecticut who winds up getting transported into time and space uh, into England during the reign of King Arthur. Oh my God, I'm going to have to read this book. That's amazing. Yeah, but like it also talks, it, it kind of lends itself to the displacement of David and finding himself in like a really weird situation in a place that he's not too familiar with and there's magic and you know random happenstance and whatnot so i think it's it's very it's a very cute option yeah uh, it's like an american in england there's all kinds of like medieval kind of feudal situations going on with like honor and sacrifice and and all the kind of language that we get into mm-hmm. um that's awesome thanks for that uh that little nug yeah and as you said before he also is seen watching the muppets uh one of the lines in the muppets show that is playing is I was going to bite you very badly. I'm like, oh, no, werewolf noises. <laughs> there we go. Um, and we have a, a classic kind of false wake up in this vision as well, um, which just, I mean, oh, that gets me every time um, as Alex is murdered in the like yes. false wake up. Um, and then when David wakes up for real, he's alone in his room and Jack shows up. Jack yes. is like his his face. Again, this is like, the prosthetics are super Incredible. gory and hard to look at, but if you try to abstract them to the level of like really good makeup, then I think it's really interesting to to see. Like you can see kind of the bulk of Jack's cheek. It's like a little bulkier and more bulbous than usual because he has obviously a lot of like plaster on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just looks like half devoured. Like this is you know about to like take a bite out of him, just like torn up, bloody. Yeah, his neck is completely shredded. You can kind of see the tendons moving around underneath the skin. It's very cool and from a from a like artistic perspective not the i would want to see a person like this you know oh no definitely definitely and he sort of confirms for david what we think we know which is that they were attacked on the moors by a werewolf yes um and jack now says that he'll walk the earth in limbo until the wolf's last remaining bloodline which now has a very sinister meaning with this uh with his new lens on it is destroyed aka david 
Yes. Uh, and Jack also says that he has died an unnatural death, which is why he is in limbo. Well, let's get into the real meat of this movie, and that's only partially a pun after a refill. Oh, Eric. I just got back from uh, from Cleveland, and now I'm starting back my work week, and I tried to go to sleep last night, and I was very, very tired, but also really stressed out just thinking about all the work that I need to do now that I'm home. And thank God for Calm. Calm is the number one app to help you reduce your anxiety and stress and help you sleep better, and gosh, they did help me sleep better last night. That would be especially great after this past week's episode of Game of Thrones. For sure. So they have stuff like guided meditations, which really help me get to sleep. But they also additionally have sleep stories, which are basically bedtime stories for adults. One of my favorites, I've mentioned it on the podcast before, The Magical Lavender Fields of Southern France told by Stephen Fry. Very good. You just, you can't get better than that. Um, They also have music and stuff like really like calming, soothing music that you can play and just fall asleep to gently. So right now, Spirits listeners can get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash spirits. That is C-A-L-M dot com slash spirits. And you can get unlimited access to all of Calm's content, including their sleep stories, including their guided meditation, anything you could possibly want. So again, that is calm.com slash spirits. You can get Calm and stop stressing. Thanks, Calm. Julia, I want to tell you about Hover. Ooh, please do. Building your online brand has never been more important, and you should show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about. And your online identity begins with your domain name. Our domain name is spiritspodcast.com. So like, it's very searchable, and it is an obvious place for people to go to check out all of our stuff. It also tells you exactly what you need to know about the show. Web hosts and websites evolve as their brand, website, and hosting needs change. So sometimes you might change the name of your podcast like some podcasts have done. Um, I have also changed like what my main URL is over the time as my online identity and like how I've uh, referred to myself online has changed as well. And Hover lets you do that very easily by keeping domains separate from hosting, so you can always choose the right platform for your business. Yeah, so if you're making a website and you decide to change your domain name, you don't have to change and create an entirely different website with that new domain name. Yeah, Hover doesn't upsell you and has a very clean, simple user interface. They have a best-in-class customer support team, which will help you with any issues you have while setting up your domain name and website. And they have the Hover Connect feature that allows you to connect your domain name to a bunch of different websites with just a few simple clicks. Yeah, Amanda has talked about how great their customer support team is. She's used them in the past and they are excellent. If you have any problems, they are quick to respond. They're ready to help you out. And like as someone who is not super, super like technically savvy, that is the best possible way to go about building my website or making my domain. So right now, our listeners can go to hover.com slash spirits and get 10% off your first purchase. Yep, uh, that is hover, H-O-V-E-R dot com slash spirits and you get 10% off your first purchase of a domain name. So that's hover.com slash spirits for 10% off your first purchase. Awesome, thank you, Hover. And now I'm gonna talk to you about how sometimes I'm just really, really hungry. All the time, actually. Every time we talk about this podcast, I'm basically saying about how hungry I am. So thank God I have DoorDash because DoorDash connects you to all of your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. You just pull up your DoorDash app, you choose what you want to eat, and then someone brings it right to your door. The best part is it's not just a couple of selected restaurants. They have over 310,000 amazing restaurants that are uh, available on their website. And honestly, 
I know Eric always bases what a good delivery service is by whether or not they are in his area. So Eric, you have DoorDash, right? I do. We used it quite recently and it was great. We got uh, some Thai food and we got some uh, Chinese food. I, I love a good Chinese food. I think the nice part is too that uh, DoorDash not only has, you know, your local restaurants and stuff like that, but they work with your favorite chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, the Cheesecake Factory. You get cheesecake delivered to your door, Eric. It's very good. Door. I, I, I mean, I can't imagine a better situation. So don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code SPIRITS. So that is $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code SPIRITS. Again, that's promo code SPIRITS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Thanks, DoorDash. And now let's get back to the show. We should point out that uh, Jack's solution to his problem and David's problem, because David is going to transform in the full moon, which is two or three days away at this point, is to kill himself, which... Uh, all right. Yeah, and this is a, a subject that is hard to see brought up. It's obviously something that touches a lot of people's lives yeah. um, and is, you know, very, very present. But it feels quite taboo to see someone encourage this in this way on yeah. screen. And like, again, I, I get that it serves a plot. I think it would be a different discussion to say whether or not it's like moral to put on screen or if it's warranted. Yeah. But this is the movie we have. So, you know, I think we should discuss kind of the role of this subplot. Yeah, I will say I, I saw this really interesting article about um, it was a series of essays about monsters in horror films. And they specifically chose an American werewolf in London, uh, but made the argument that, hey, um, the werewolf isn't the monster in American werewolf in London. Yeah. David is the monster in American werewolf in London. David or Jack? David. In that he, you know, acts in a sort of chaotic way that inflicts harm on others. Yes. And uh, in the idea that he knows that this is coming and does no action in order to try to prevent it. Like he could have gotten himself locked up. There's plenty of great films where he talks about like, or where you'll see like, oh, I know I'm going to transform. Please lock me in the dungeon so I can't escape and hurt anyone. Remus Lupin style. Right. But I mean, I, I also, though, sympathize with him in that, like, it's an unbelievable thing to learn. Oh, absolutely. And he doesn't necessarily trust that this is real. Um, and like, denial is a powerful force, you know, indecision. And we see him later in Alex's apartment, like, pacing and sweating and like, not sure what to do. Um, I, I guess inaction is also a form of violence. And that can also, like, immorality can take the form of inaction. But that feels like, man, like, David just got a really hard, hard, you know, hand here you know it's very interesting that and we'll get to that a little bit more later but um it's interesting that you read that scene as like unsure of what to do and pacing and nervous i just read it as him being really bored with his situation his his only connection to the outside world left for the day and he's just stuck in her apartment till she gets yeah. back i think that's true too yeah well this might be a good way to to segue though into the fact that um david is being discharged has nowhere to stay they kiss he tells her that he's a werewolf which i didn't see coming and we have the timeline here where he's being discharged and then the full moon is the day after that right. so alex brings him home they have sex montage 
in the bathroom, of course. He shuts the medicine cabinet, and obviously uh, the corpse, Jack, returns looking much worse in uh, that mirror and, again, urges David to kill himself. Um, I was distracted here because Nurse Alex was wearing an NYU shirt where I was like, that must be David. It, it is. It was. You can tell by, it like, was. the length it is on her body because it's one of those scenes where oh, yeah. she's only wearing a T-shirt and nothing else. Yeah, and, like, that's not how T-shirts fit. I mean, I guess if you're, like, a very broad, athletic, like, actor, that's how your body is. But... Which I would argue David isn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, I don't, he's, uh, anyway, I, I see how he's a hunk. He looks like a young Al Pacino. He really does look like a young Al Pacino. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I'm glad. Well, in any case, he, uh, you know, to his credit, does talk to Alex about what he's seeing, about his his worries. And this, too, is where we see that the doctor starts to do some exploration, drives yes. up north, visits the slaughtered lamb. Um, and, of course, the patrons and the proprietor are not feeling at all any of his questions, especially nope. the one about the star. Um, there's no food here, she says again, which could partly just be like a funny, like, you know, oh, the British aren't hospitable, blah, 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 whatever. Um, but also that led me to believe like, okay, well maybe they don't keep food in the village because that way the wolves don't come so close. Hmm. Maybe they don't keep food in the pubs so that wolves aren't, I mean, I guess wolves will go after humans, but anyway, I wondered if there was like significance to that line. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious about that too. I'm not, I don't have an answer for you. But uh, that that would be interesting. It's almost like you're like you know if you're gonna if you're gonna go camping, you gotta seal the up all your food or the, else the yeah. bears show up. We learned this in an Urban Legends episode. Raccoons, man, raccoons. I will say there's a great guy who just like leaves the bar. He's like, I gotta go check on the dogs, and the one guy's like, the dogs are fine. He's like, I'm gonna check on the dogs. And, and clearly, yeah, clearly he's like lurking in a churchyard in the rain saying that it was a mistake. The best place to lurk. Uh, I mean, I, I also, again, I wondered as I stepped into the churchyard, like, oh, well, is this like consecrated? Like, is, is there some reason that the wolf wouldn't go here? No, man, I think it's just like, it's a small village and there's a it's pub and a church close. and that's about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and and says to the doctor that it was a mistake to let Jack go. Yeah. Um, and the doctor sort of, you know, gets broken up by that other patron and then ultimately heads back down to London. There is a great interesting line to um when david is having the conversation with alex the nurse um where he says something about like bella lugosi wolfman again great I, I love that that's his only point of reference for werewolves um but he says something to the effect that i think a werewolf can only be killed by someone who loves him i'm like what is that? David, what does that mean? That means nothing. I don't know. The things you just said there, that means nothing. You met this girl three days ago. Wait, but what? what is, why did he say that? Like, is that a thing in the movie? I, I think it might be. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not super familiar with the original Wolfman, other than Belle Lagasse is in it, and um, it's got some harmful stereotypes about Romani people. But yeah, sounds sounds about right. But yeah, he he specifically brings that up, and there is that like, We'll talk about it at the end of the film, but there's a scene in that which that might be true. Who can say? Well, that brings us to the uh, next morning, the morning of the uh, the coming full moon. David says goodbye to Alex and then gets locked out of the apartment. So on his way kind of back to break into the apartment again, this is I was like, why is this a plot point? And then I realized because just like he gets yelled at by some cats and dogs. Yeah. Um, and then he <laughs> like watches tv about darts and a lady called naughty nina yeah. there might have been some lines in here that had significance but i was extremely distracted by the fact that she was called naughty nina honestly i think it's like so this film is it's a horror but it's also a comedy 
Yeah. Like, it, it, it's, it de- it's definitely played as comedy. I think Nutty Nina's whole scene was just supposed to be a very long bit that didn't really play out into anything. I was like, is she going to show up later? We must be seeing her for a reason. Was she maybe the, the woman who was in the, no, the porno theater so. later? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, oh, on screen? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. that's possible. Well, we'll have to go back and see. Assuming Naughty Nina was also in the porno. That was a great pull that we just did. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, odds are they only cast one blonde lady to do some stuff. So maybe so. Fair. But um, we then sort of segue into, you know, David's like pacing around the apartment, like you were saying earlier. I was distracted by how it's so funny that like dudes from the early 70s could be walking around like at the bar downstairs, like t-shirt jeans and shaggy hair. I don't know. He just looks very timeless in a way that Alex did not. I agree. After this either bored or nervous situation, depending on which view you you see the uh, scene as, we get the transformation. And the transformation is probably the most epic and practical werewolf transformation I've ever seen on screen. Yeah, we do. It is it is incredible. All of the effects are practical. The like stretching out of limbs that you see is done with latex and robotics. Wow. So it's just a matter of like a, a face that looks like his over a latex uh, machine that slowly protracted out and the latex spreading into the snout and snarl and whatnot. Uh, they also, I will note, um, they placed everything perfectly so we didn't get to see his werewolf dick, which is unfortunate <laughs> in my they, opinion. They did. I mean, I, I don't want any more fetid fetishizing of uh of David here, but yeah, we um we definitely get a montage that was extremely protracted like you could tell they really wanted to show how well they were doing this yeah um i will put some like not safe for work things on there but uh this is a great scene and i will link it into the show notes and in terms of what david does as the wolf um we see a sort of middle class couple getting out of the cab this is so and the cab fare julia is one pound 50 which i want to wow. just tell you that when I was in, that when moved to London, my ride from the airport, I was a, a naive teen with a big suitcase and took a cab. Uh, it was like a hundred dollars in like current money, and so I was just like, "Fuck you!" My cab, my cab ride was like forty five pounds. These people are probably so rich that they took a cab like around the corner, and that's why it was yeah. so cheap. They didn't seem particularly uh, like sympathetic, um, and they were sort of walking down the sidewalk before being like promptly eaten by David. Well, and- no, so they they could have gone through the front door, but they decided, right. "Oh, we're gonna go around the back and give them a scare." I'm like, "You're you dumb people." Uh, you- I was distracted by the cab fare. I I missed that line. Yeah. So they uh, clearly never prank your friends. That's the real lesson here. Um, But they, the people that they're going to see, uh, the husband goes downstairs to like see what the ruckus is because the wife, as always, is just like, there's stuff down there. I have the line. It's there's hooligans in the park again. (laughs) Oh, boy. And yeah, uh, yeah, no. Yep. We we see some bodies because both the husband and the couple are killed yeah he uh he steps in his friend's hand like just the hand ain't attached to the body anymore and he steps in it yep we uh we see alex and the doctor talking being concerned as they kind of like link up and then go together to try to find david um my my notes for that scene are the doctor does doctor monologuing (laughs) that's very true we then see a scene i believe it's at the like waterfront of the thames or something like that with uh three homeless men uh the dog one lets a dog loose after they hear growling because that seems smart from what we've learned from 
reading the Tally Poe. And so both of those men are killed by the werewolf off, off screen, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I don't think we see the actual murder. And then, Amanda, we cut to the tube. I've never seen the tube. Tell me about the tube. Tube's great. And we uh, we saw an old style tube train. I'd never seen the ones that weren't like red and blue and plastic and nice, uh, which they are currently. Um, so that was really sweet. Tottenham Court Road, which is uh, where I used to live, which is neat. And we see a guy, a very like long and suspenseful, like he's just like walking through the station being chased like slowly. And he gets I mean, actually, the mechanics are quite nice. I don't need to, like, rehash them here. Mm -hmm. But he, obviously, the wolf eats the businessman. um, And that sort of vision of him, like, being taken up the escalator while, uh, like, splayed out is, again, like, so unlike the order and, like, rigidness of the morning commute Mm -hmm. um, at stations in the tube where you just, like, line up the escalator and, like, very orderly move up and out. Mm -hmm. That it was, like, there's just something about it, like, seeing someone splayed out when they're supposed to be standing is just, like, animal brain is saying, like, oh, no, this is bad. Yeah, that that escalator shot is absolutely gorgeous. Also, at one point, I turned to Jake, who I was watching this with, and I'm like, can you imagine being the only person in a subway station? He's like, no, never. never. I, I would leave. No, no way. <laughs> That's just the fae are going to come get you. Or in this case, a werewolf. So the next morning, David wakes up inside the wolf enclosure at the London Zoo. This to me was like the best part of the movie. Like this last sort of quarter of the movie is wonderful. I know we're running a little bit long on this episode, so I don't want to, you know, go scene by scene. But like David waking up in the cage is hilarious. Those wolves are adorable. He stole balloons from a kid in like a most hilarious fashion and then a coat from a bench. It's like just a very good montage of him um, getting home where hornily he reunites with Alex, who on the phone with the doctor promises to bring him to the hospital. Yeah, he's just manic and horny horny by the time he gets back to her it is wild i'm like if i woke up in a zoo enclosure this would not be my reaction i mean i'm assuming that his like wolf um side is still running a little bit hot yeah especially because in werewolf lore and just in general like the quote-unquote full moon lasts for three days so we see i was wondering about that the first night i think he has he should have two more after this but he does die on the second night Yeah, and on the way to the hospital where he's going to reunite with the doctor and presumably, like, sort this shit out, the The cabbie cabbie. is just like, ah, the six murders. Did you hear about the murders? I'm like, please, sir, no. If any any uh, New York cabbie tried to talk to me about murder, I would get out of that cab immediately. I would barrel roll out of it. I've been in some uncomfortable cab rides. Oh, God. Um, Yeah, and and of course, David freaks out and and runs away. Um, Very good. He tries to get arrested in Trafalgar Square. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and sort of like uses a lot of profanity and then starts to like insult um, insult the queen and the crown and England. Uh, my favorite one was Shakespeare's French. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, very good. buddy. We can't take back some of these things that we say. But he doesn't succeed. And then in a phone booth comes close to, to cutting his wrists and doesn't. Uh, he does call home, though. Yes. Um, and did you notice what the uh, area code was, Amanda, for the home? I did not. Was it 212? It was 516. 516, baby! Baby, that is uh, the That's Long Island, uh, the area code for Long Island. And I got very hey, excited. Hey. I didn't uh, notice that. That's amazing. Yeah, but he basically tells his little sister. It, it's almost like his suicide note. Basically, tells his little call, sister yeah. to be like, hey, tell mom and dad that I love him, to take care of your brother, don't tease him whatnot that kind of thing so yeah oh really really tough to watch knowing what happens um he then from the phone booth sees the very very fucked up 
corpse of Jack gesturing for him to come into a adult cinema. We see Jack again is very decomposed inside of the the porn theater. They they the porn talk. is very bad and very funny though. It is it is extremely funny. There is very one much- point. It, it, it interrupts the scene, but there's one point where these two people are having sex in what looks like a hotel room, probably, and this gentleman walks in. He's like, I told you, what are you doing? I told you never to do this again. Yeah. The, the man responds. He's like, no, you didn't. And he's like, you, and turns to the woman. She's like, I've never met you before in my life. He's like, <laughs> really? She's like, yes. He's like, Sorry, and then walks out the door. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? It's extremely funny. I really thought that they were going to like make eye contact with like the camera or with David and oh like talk God. to him in that scene. Yeah. But it was it was very much felt like a like a hallucination, but it it wasn't. And like David and Jack, I don't even honestly know what they were talking about because I was so like taken in by the atmosphere of like other men. And like as David starts to kind of like writhe in pain and cry out, uh, no one really bats an eyelash until way too late because I don't know like what went on in that theater. The idea of like watching porn around other people is mystifying to me. Yeah, uh, basically the conversation that Jack and David have is Jack introduces David to all the people he killed last night. Yes, yeah. Um, which everyone's pretty pissed, except for that one couple. They seem very cheery, despite being I mean, I guess they're together. I mean, yeah, that's probably it. Um, and again, the conversation of David needs to end this in order to end their suffering uh, comes up again, and they discuss various ways in which he can do it. At one point, David suggests a silver bullet, and they're like, don't be ridiculous. You don't need to do that. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, just throwing a bunch of, uh, bunch of pop culture werewolf lore out the window there, huh? Yeah, and then in, in a hugely big budget final sequence... David eats the patrons, the manager, causes a giant and extremely expensive, I'm sure, car crash in freaking Trafalgar Square. Yeah. Alex finds him and says that she loves him as she sort of like stands over him in an alley. And Julie, what was your read on this? Did you see a kind of flash of recognition in in the wolf David's eyes? Yeah. So I think that there's like a moment in which he is calmed. And then he growls. He is shot by... Is it, What's the SWAT version of the the like London police because they had black berets and I know nothing else about the situation. I don't know. I mean, MI5 is intelligence. I don't know if that's the same as the like special forces in, in the police. Yeah. But um, they were standing very far back in that alley and to shoot and him and not her, her yes. past her legs yeah. was staggering. I really thought that she was going to be kind of caught in the crossfire. Yeah. Um, and so if this relates maybe to your earlier observation of David thinking that a wolf could only be killed by someone who loves them, mm-hmm. um, then maybe in that moment he was like felt endangered because he realizes that, oh, wait, here is a threat to me, which is someone I love who loves me. Yes. I, I mean, that's true. But also at the same time, uh, this movie is all about subverting werewolf tropes in a lot of ways. So it's not uh, Alex that kills him. It's the police that kill him. Uh, yeah. And the film literally just ends with Alex seeing David's naked body, not a werewolf anymore, just a naked prone man dead in this alleyway. With bullet and, wounds. And, and, and then we go to very loud, upbeat music as the <laughs> credits roll. <laughs> I think it's actually Blue Moon again. I'm a fan of dissonant music with the emotion of a scene like i think that can be really powerful but in this moment i texted julia like is that fucking it that like was i it. was so again like thrown by that image of just like a, a naked man in a fetal position like covered in bullet like it, it's fucking it's it's 
it's so disturbing. Um, and then that's it. And like, there's no resolution. There is no sense of like why this happened. If it happens to others, how we solve the problem. Um, that is just the story. Well, I mean, the the argument would be that David was the last of that particular bloodline of werewolves. So the solution is already found. David dying is the solution to the story. So there's really nowhere else for the story to go with his death. You know right. what I mean? So like, right. a, even from like a plot perspective or from a mythological perspective, um, if, if this was a myth or if this was a fairy tale that I was telling, it'd be like... And the werewolf was killed and it never bothered the village again. You know, it would be that kind of situation. Yeah. Or if it was a uh, a very like, I don't know, rude to its viewers type of film, it would open on like another wolf in another country, like maybe in Long Island, right. you know, killing someone new, yeah. uh, which would be like the, I guess, the very like 21st century franchising of the of the idea but there is like, a sequel to this film it's very bad oh no i'm gonna choose to ignore it it's an american werewolf in paris well i was just going to uh compliment the movie for being a tight 91 minutes a tight 90 very much appreciate that and um and just just ending there and you know listen this was a, a very uh i almost said enjoyable but it was a, a interesting film for me to watch i appreciated the sort of uh like the the filmmaking of it and the cinematography the use of music the use of humor the use of motifs uh, there's just a lot to think about and for a you know movie that is ostensibly like just horror you know there's a lot in there it really leaves you with kind of big questions you know the, the film in general of like what are you responsible for? Like, what do you do with circumstances that you didn't ask for? Um, how your perception interacts with your self-perception? Yeah. Um, and there's just there's just a lot. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot we didn't talk about, too, about, like, the concepts of sanity and mental health that the the film talks about, which I think are interesting, but I, I, I don't have, like, really formed opinions on when it comes to this film. But um, I, I think that, like, one of the key things that I kind of took away from it is your reality is your perceived reality. So even right. if even if David... Even All if no one thought is, is David, perception. Yeah, I mean, like, right. no one thought David was actually a werewolf. Even the doctor, after going to that village and coming back, he was like, well, there's this mass delusion that everyone is involved in, and David yes. is too. But, like, you're you're as dangerous as you think you are sometimes, and you are your your reality is the reality for you, and no one can really take that away from you. Especially when you're in that kind of like fragile mental health space. And like I've been there before and it's a really scary place to be in. And when people don't believe you or don't take your complaints seriously, it can be really scary and really isolating. Yeah. And I've talked before about disassociation, which is something mm -hmm. that I experienced too. And it, it really is uh, a really vulnerable thing to experience, much less to like ask someone else like, hey, can you confirm or deny? Like, can you validate? Can you, yeah. you know, hear this really uh, scary thing that I'm perceiving and help me understand what is and isn't real? Um, so it's, uh, it, there's a, a whole lot and I'm sure it's, you know, imperfect. Um, and if anything, I hope that it helps us or sort of invites us to ask more questions about, you know, who supports us in these times? Where can we go? Like, what is... Uh, important to us and to affirm that like at the end of the day we are the only ones who have a say over 
what we do. And uh, we have to sort of stand up for ourselves in saying that our lives are important and worth living. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, you hit the nail on the head there, I think. I don't know. I, I also want to have another plug for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Absolutely. You can text them. You can chat with them on the internet, no matter what country you're in. And certainly you can call. I have used it. I found it really helpful. And if you are in a space where you you know, don't know what to do, what's real, what's good, what's bad, and you can use a, a grounding force, like that's what they're there for. If yeah. you wonder whether or not you qualify, you qualify. Go for yeah. it. And we'll link that in the show notes as well, in the episode notes. Uh, Amanda, like, I guess on a scale of one to 10, what did you think of this mythology film? Um, I give it like a, an eighth of a Guinness glass. Okay. Like or, the, the that's small the Guinness glasses that they ordered at the <laughs> bar or like a real Guinness glass. Uh, I give it like a pint of Guinness that you've taken like three long drags out of. So like, oh, so 80, like the 82%. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I thought it was really fascinating. Gore is not for me, but I thought this was like an academic study of gore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it left me with a lot to think about, which ultimately is what I am looking for in my movies. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it, if not from the ridiculousness for the, uh, for the meaning behind it. Totally. I also want to point out that Julia has done this whole episode wearing a crop top covered in eyes. I am I'm an angel. Fear me. <laughs> Much like the moon. Always watching. Always waiting. <laughs> well, uh, listeners, please let us know what your reactions to the movie were and what interests you about it, what stays with you. And remember. Much like the moon. Stay creepy. Stay cool. Don't go off the road. Don't go off the road. Don't go to the the moors. Not even one more. Not even one time. Never. Thanks again to our sponsors. Hover is your one-stop shop for domain names. You can get 10% off your first domain at hover.com slash spirits. DoorDash, you can get $5 off your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code spirits at checkout. And Calm is the number one app to help you reduce your anxiety and stress and help you sleep better. Get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash spirits. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.